Welcome birders, this is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. And I am just back a week or so from a long-anticipated, much-delayed trip to Costa Rica. My daughter and her husband, Alan, live in Costa Rica. They've been there for several years now, and I've only gotten to visit once. That was well pre-pandemic, maybe two and a half, three years ago, when they were living on the Caribbean coast, and I visited them there for just a week and birded a little bit around their home there. Since then, they've moved. Uh, to a place in the mountains closer to the west coast of Costa Rica, near Tinamaste, and it's just south of San Isidro. And I visited them there for four weeks in February and March. I had planned to visit them almost a year prior to that. The trip got canceled due to COVID, haven't been able to visit since, and so I've been really missing a chance to go. And so the primary purpose of this trip was to visit my daughter and Nicely, my son, who is a digital nomad and travels all around, has also been in Costa Rica, sort of uh, hemmed in by pandemic travel restrictions, and he and his girlfriend uh, are living right near Jean there. So I got to visit both of them. So it was really exciting to see my family for the first time in a long time. But as any birder who has family who don't live near them knows that when you visit family, especially if your family lives in a great place to bird, there's the inherent conflict, that little tension that always runs between your desire to be with family and make a great family visit and the call of birding, wanting to get out, see what you can see, explore some new areas. And so I really felt like this was a great opportunity for me to test my ability to balance a great family trip and a great birding trip and a great birding place that I haven't birded very much. So a lot of birding in that sentence. Uh, But anyway, uh, a really great opportunity. And I feel like I nailed it. I really had a terrific trip. Got to spend lots of time with Gene and Alan. They have a fabulous little farm uh, down a couple of kilometer bumpy dirt road out of Tina Maste, which is little more than a blip in the highway anyway. Uh, so a really remote area in a great birding spot, about 700 feet elevation in a nice valley between the the uh, hill or mountain ranges that run out of the uh, main north-south mountain range, uh, uh, Telamanca mountain range. Uh, the foothills run down uh, to the ocean and there are valleys in between that are just beautiful dense vegetation, uh, fat, all have all sorts of uh, streams and brooks running through them, and just really good habitat. Uh, so they have a, a hectare uh, there that they farm and have developed, develop, are developing and have already developed to a degree a fabulous farm. It's agroforestry. They're restoring an old pasture land property, uh, planting uh, lots of perennial fruit trees and other uh, perennial products, along with a small annual garden. It's just a fabulous place. And I really enjoyed visiting and I really enjoyed birding around there. I felt by the end of four weeks there, uh, by getting out almost every morning, every morning the howler monkeys would wake us up around 4, 4.30 in the morning at a couple of hours before daylight. And so I get to listen to the dawn chorus start to come around. And the sun rose there around 6.30, quarter to 7 in the morning. 
and uh, I would be out birding around then or a little before, but the birds really didn't start moving until the sun came up and the sun got on the leaves and the insects started moving, and then I could find some birds. Before that, I was birding by ear and hoping I could figure out what I was hearing, which was a bit of a struggle uh, at times. Uh, but by the end of my time there, I felt like I had learned a lot of the the calls and songs of the most common birds, at least the easy-to-learn ones, although there remained many that were mysteries to me, uh, and got to see a good number of birds right around where they live. And in addition, by the time, you know, 9 o'clock in the morning rolled around, it was hot and not much was moving. And, and so between 9 and 3.30 or 4, there really wasn't a whole lot of birding to be done around there. It was really quiet. Uh, and so I got lots of family visiting during that time, and sometimes in the evening, be a little more action. Uh, on the trip, we spent the first couple of days in San Jose, where my daughter met us, and then after a day or two, we drove off to where they live. Uh, interestingly, during the pandemic in Costa Rica, one of the ways to control the uh, pandemic spread and the movement of people around the country was to make every license plate had one weekend day that you're not allowed to drive. So my daughter's day to drive was Sunday. She couldn't drive on Saturdays. And she had one day during the week that she couldn't drive. I think that was Thursday. And so we got there on a Thursday. So she drove to town on a Wednesday, spent the day Thursday in town, met us Friday morning, uh, and she had some business to do in town. So we did that and then couldn't drive to her place on Saturday. So had an extra day in town and then drove to her place on Sunday. Uh, so uh, that was a couple of extra days in the city. And I got to bird a little bit around the city. But one thing I did while I was there is buy a couple of hummingbird feeders. Uh, so when I got to her farm, right off the back deck where this sloping property over some beautiful flowers and gardens. Uh, I hung a couple of hummingbird feeders, and by the end of the trip, those were much desired by the local hummingbirds. There were three species of hummingbirds that really frequented the feeders regularly. A scaly-breasted hummingbird, long-billed hermit, and rufous-tailed hummingbird, probably in that order of uh, frequency. An occasional uh, ruby-throat hummingbird would show up, uh, and then there are couple of hummingbirds buzzing around that I really couldn't get a look at and identify, but it was nice birding just from the back deck, and so we had a really nice time. So I'd love to hear from listeners as to what's your experience with trying to balance, you know, the lure of great birding with the need and lure of special family time and how to balance that in a trip. I thought that uh, we did a nice job of balancing that overall. Also, I don't know about your family, but with my family, uh, spending four weeks, you know, with siblings and their families is pretty intense. You know, it gets a little much. So we did make time to get away on little side trips. Some, some were just a day long. We left the farm and visited other places. And others were an overnight day or two stay. So got a little bit of traveling. And I'll talk more about the birding in Costa Rica here uh, to follow. But before I do that, I thought I'd just, uh, if any of you are as directionally impaired or geographically impaired as I am, I thought I would introduce you to Costa Rica a little bit. Costa Rica is the second to the most southern country in Central America. Panama uh, is at the junction, obviously, between South America and Central America, and just between Nicaragua and Panama lies, lies Costa Rica. And if you look at a map, uh, I always think of South America being pretty much due south of North America, but it's really not. Uh, if you look at uh, the very top, the northernmost part of South America, is pretty much south, almost due south of Maine, uh, pretty much uh, due south of the 
very easternmost east coast of, the, of North America, and so most of Central America runs on a diagonal from northwest to southeast. And uh, as you get to Panama, most of Panama almost runs east-west, but Costa Rica is positioned so that it runs uh, on the northernmost parts is considerably west of the southernmost parts. So it runs on a diagonal from northwest to southeast. And so most of the mountain ranges in Costa Rica also run on a diagonal uh, from northwest to southeast. And where Jean lives is in the southwestern part of Costa Rica, but the, south, the southernmost part of Costa Rica is considerably to the east of the northernmost part of Costa Rica. So if you were in the northernmost part of the Caribbean coast of Costa Rica and went due south, you would only get halfway or less than halfway to the southernmost part of the west coast of Costa Rica. So it's interesting how that yeah, kind of messed me up when I'm thinking north, south, east, west in Costa Rica. Everything is a little on a diagonal there. Uh, so Jean's place is about 20 kilometers from the Pacific coast of Costa Rica in some of the, one of the valleys in the foothills of the Telamanca mountain range, which is the range in the southern part of Costa Rica that separates the Caribbean from the Pacific, where the whole country is not all that wide when you get way down south there. And uh, the mountains there are really high, uh, so it's very hilly and mountainous terrain down there. So it's really a cool place. Uh, and uh, when we went to Jean's place, we took the coastal route. Uh, we left San Jose and drove pretty much west or southwest to get to the coast with a nice stop at an experimental farm, which is the farm of uh, the company that Gene works with. Gene works with Jungle Foods, uh, and they are a company that is trying to help small landowners develop uh, breadfruit as a cash crop and agroforestry as a family feeding crop to become uh, relatively autonomous uh, in terms of their ability to produce food to feed their family and still have a cash crop at the same time. So long story, but uh, really cool company and really proud and happy that Gene's working with them. But we stopped at the experimental farm for them on the way, did a little birding, uh, continued onto the coast where we uh, hit the coastal highway, Highway 34, which runs from the north to the south along the coast. Uh, drove along there, stopped at the Tacoles River to look at the crocodiles and a few birds. Had a really nice drive. Got down to Dominical, which is the closest major town on the Pacific to where Gene and Alan live, uh, and is right on uh, a major route from the Pan American Highway to the coast. Uh, and so we turned inland at Dominical, drove about a half an hour to Tinamaste, which is a little town, and then drove down a dirt road to get to Gene and Alan's place. So you have a little bit of a feel for where that is. I'll try to put a map in the blog post that I put along with this so you get a general feel for where I'm talking about. Uh, but uh, we drove there, did a little birding on the way, got a few cool birds on the ride. Uh, I was in the back seat and, uh, and got to look out the sun the moon roof and out the windows and I got, got King Vulture, which was always fun to see. I had seen one before in, in uh, Guatemala, but always a cool bird to find. I uh, got to see yellow-headed caracara, which was a life bird for me. Scarlet macaws several times, which are just incredibly cool, big, loud, colorful birds that are spectacular and uh, tend to be 
pretty much mostly along the Pacific coast there and had a, had a terrific drive. Had a nice, got in, got rested up. It was just a fabulous trip there. And then we settled into birding around the farm for a few days. But before we get there, I want to mention a little bit about the birding in San Jose. Uh, we stayed overnight at a, a hotel right near the airport. We got in almost midnight. It was a really late night. Uh, so we stayed at a hotel and got up early the next morning and walked outside to see what we could see. I got out my eBird, and sure enough, there's a hotspot right outside the door called the Alahuela Walmart Woods. There's a Walmart right next to the airport, and beside the Walmart, there's a little repairing corridor, and it was actually a fun little spot to bird. We were up fairly early, got out there, got some neotropic migrants, lots of Baltimore Orioles, some yellow warblers, uh, white-winged and white-tipped doves, great kiskadee, great blue heron, great egret. Those are the birds I could identify. There were a bunch more that I was like, huh, that's a bird. wonder what that is. Uh, and that uh, was a, sort of a theme of the trip. Tough to, tough to bird an area you don't know, especially when vegetation is dense and it's hard to see. But I had a nice little morning there before we headed out. And the other place I birded in coast right in San Jose uh, was at uh, another hotspot, the Hotel Aranwes. Hotel Aranwes is a little uh, funky little uh, hotel, fun place to stay, and they had a nice little tiny grounds, but trees in the city, always good. So we got lots of parrots flying overhead that I had trouble identifying, uh, but uh, got familiar with some of the most common birds. Palm tanagers, blue-gray tanagers were all over the place. Uh, great kiskadee and social flycatcher, good to get used to the, get a real feel for the black, yellow, and white-headed birds that are uh, flycatchers that are around. Uh, rufous collared sparrows, they seem to just be anywhere there is uh, people around, you're going to find rufous collared sparrows. Pretty much anywhere there aren't people around, too. If there's some open space, they're, they're all over uh, the west coast of Costa Rica. So I had a nice time, went to the market there, visited with some of Jean's friends before we headed, headed off. Also, one little story about the experimental farm. Uh, the Jungle Foods uh, farm that we stayed at, uh, Paul Zink and uh, Jean's other partner, Gustavio Anglo, uh, were the co-founders of Jungle Foods. And they uh, run this experimental farm, and it was a really cool place. We walked around, got some bug bites on our legs, but found some birds. But the coolest thing was while we're walking down this pretty steep little trail, and to the side, the hill just dropped off. I mean, really, really steep. And Paul uh, had a, a basket-catching thing for fruit, and there was a breadfruit. He wanted to fish a breadfruit off a tree on that hillside, and he fished it into the basket, and it dropped and rolled down this incredibly steep hillside. So instead of saying, you know, adios, not going to get that one, Paul just dives off the side of this cliff, running down the side of the, the road, doing little switchbacks, and disappears from sight. And about two or three minutes later, he comes up, and on his shoulder, not a breadfruit, which is the breadfruit he's trying to get, was like a, a giant uh, grapefruit size. On his shoulder is this bigger than a watermelon-sized jackfruit. And I don't know how many of you have seen jackfruit, but they are... They have prickly surfaces. It looks like all sorts of giant rose thorns sticking out the surface of a jackfruit. And it's on his shoulder, and it's a big fruit. And he comes somehow comes 
trotting up this hillside out of a canyon with a giant jackfruit on his shoulder. Uh, a lot of jaws dropped when we saw that, like, how did he get up that hill? Forget about alone, but with a jackfruit on his shoulder. But he knew the paths, and it kind of surprised us all, and we enjoyed some jackfruit for lunch. The other fruits we had there were spectacular. I don't know if any of you have ever had caviar limes. They are this little tiny lime. It's about the size of a peanut. Uh, and when you break it in half, uh, the little tiny granules of lime come just oozing out of it, sort of almost ejaculatory looking, very, very erotic. This fruit just oozes out of this lime, and when you eat it, it is so good, just bursts of flavor, not real sour like some limes can be, just enough sweetness to make it perfect, and oh, they were so good. Just really enjoyed caviar lime, maybe my favorite fruit of the whole trip, although magic berries have to be uh, pretty close. Those are berries that you eat and they kind of uh, alter your taste buds for a few minutes so that no matter what you eat, it tastes sweet. So you can eat limes or lemons after you eat this magic berry and they taste sweet as uh, sweet as candy. So there's some really cool fruit experiences I had on the trip too. Although birding around Jean's farm, uh, which they call Tres Rios, Finca Tres Rios, Farm of Three Rivers, because it is spectacular. There are three little rivers run right through their farm, and it gives them, obviously, water supply for uh, irrigation for their crops and uh, a fabulous place to cool off on hot days, uh, but uh, also uh, attracts a lot of birds. But besides birding there, some of our best birding experiences were when we got off to other places, especially when I arranged guides. Getting guides in Costa Rica is generally not a problem. There are lots of bird guides, and they are generally busy and very competent. But COVID has just hammered the entire ecotourism industry, the tourism industry really, but especially birding guides have just been hammered. And in Costa Rica, there has been essentially no uh, traveling bird business for the last almost a year. Uh, so I was the first client of Carlos Arena in pandemic times. Mary and I got immunized. We felt like we could travel safely and I was really missing my family. So after a few days, I tried to hire a guide. I contacted Patrick O'Donnell. Patrick had been my guest on the Bird Bannock podcast episode number 65, and he suggested that I use Johan Chavez, who's located near Capos. Johan Unfortunately, when I got a hold of him, had to take a regular day job. So he was not available uh, for guided trips, but he recommended Carlos Arena. Carlos lives in San Isidro, which is the closest big city to where Gene and Alan live, just back north on the Pan American Highway, about half an hour. And I met Carlos, and he arranged to take us out. Fortunately for Carlos, and unfortunately for me, uh, he had his first major trip planned about four days after I contacted him. Uh, so I got a hold of him, and I said, well, why don't we go tomorrow? And so got a hold of Carlos and met him in San Isidro at 6 a.m. And from there, I told Carlos, my main goal is to just see a bunch of birds. I want to spend the day birding and not all day driving. Uh, so I want to get some really good uh, birding. I prefer to get to some high elevation birding because that's a place that I really haven't explored at all before. So Carlos took us to about the highest elevation birding you can get to in Costa Rica. He took us north on the Pan American Highway out of San Isidro, about an hour and a half drive from there, but on a narrow two-lane road. This, is, uh, this Pan American Highway going through the Talamanca Mountains is uh, fabulous, uh, fun to drive, but really well-maintained road, but narrow, narrow, 
almost non-existent shoulders, and not a particularly wide road, and switchbacks almost the whole way. So uh, passing on corners is pretty much the norm if you need to get by uh, slow-moving or stalled trucks. And it was uh, really kind of a scary road to drive, especially at the crack of dawn. But we got up the road okay to the top of what's called Cerro de la Muerte, a hill of the death. And Cerro de la Muerte is this fabulous area, the fresh, clean, cold air. It was below freezing when we got there. Fabulous vistas, low shrub line, low height shrubs uh, above timberline that make birding relatively easy. You're not looking up in the top of a jungle uh, with lots of vegetation to see the birds. And it's about 3,500 meters elevation there, so really high. And we got there about 745, 750, and just got otterbirds right away. Volcano hummingbird, timberline wren, black-capped flycatcher, sooty-capped chlorospingus, large-footed finch, sooty thrush, black-billed nightingale thrush. These were all new birds for me, lifers, and just got great looks. It was just fresh and beautiful in the morning. The vistas were spectacular, and it was great. Uh, we stayed there for uh, an hour and a half or so and just got some great looks, and then we spent the rest of the day at San Gerardo de Dota Quetzal Valley. Uh, it's a curvy road that goes up into the Quetzal, Quetzalas Valley and just had a great day. We spent about six and a half hours there, uh, some fabulous birding. Uh, we've made a quick stop at a little soda. Sodas uh, in Costa Rica and much of Latin America are little family-owned restaurants, not really uh, a big restaurant. They're usually outdoor dining, usually have one person uh, who works there, usually the woman of the house, uh, and she'll make you food or get you drinks or whatever you want and wait on you. Uh, so the price of birding at their feeders was to have a drink. So we had a nice, fresh-squeezed fruit drink uh, and watched their feeders for half an hour or so. Just really a cool introduction experience to high elevation birding in Costa Rica. They have, they have suet feeders, they have uh, seed feeders, lots of hummingbird feeders, fruit, fruit feeders, just fabulous uh, birding there. Interestingly, the high elevation in Costa Rica, the dominant tree is an oak. Uh, and so there are acorn woodpeckers just all over. Besides uh, a couple of other common woodpeckers, acorn woodpeckers were just everywhere. Uh, and so we got great looks and really had fun watching acorn woodpeckers, but also flame-throated tanagers were just all over the place. Uh, blue, and, blue and white swallows were flitting around. Uh, flame-throated warblers were great. Uh, had a few hummingbirds uh, and just a really nice start to the day. From there, we spent the rest of the day at a high-end resort. Uh, it's called the QREC, or Quetzalli's uh, Research Education Center, uh, and was started by a fellow who's now in his 90s that we got to meet. And uh, he started, I think, it, I think, and I could be wrong in this, but I think it was originally designed to be a fishing lodge. They stocked the local stream with, with rainbow trout, and we're going to have a fishing uh, uh, tourism industry that didn't really pan out all that great. But some of the people who came to fish apparently knew their birds, and they said, boy, there's a lot of quetzals around here. Birders love to see resplendent quetzals. Why don't you try to attract birders? So that movement began, and sure enough, it became one of the go-to places in Latin America to see resplendent quetzals. My resplendent quetzal experience maybe not as great as other birders. Uh, we went to this resort, and one of the things you could do at this resort was uh, get them to take you to the top of the trail so you could hike down instead of having to hike up, which was 
would have been a lot more difficult. Uh, so the price of that was either $15 US dollars to get the ride, or you could have lunch there, So which cost about $15. So we decided to have lunch after our birding. Uh, and so we drove up a trail for quite a ways, as far as a road, as far as you could go. And just before we got to the end of where you could drive, uh, Carlos stops us, responded Quetzal, and it was just over the top of the car. I couldn't see it through the windshield. So I backed up, trying to get a look at the Quetzal. And just as it came into sight, it flew. Uh, so I got to see my only resplendent Quetzal of the whole trip uh, flying away from us and disappearing. Uh, so I got a tick, but it's one of the BVD ticks, better view desired. Uh, and uh, hopefully another trip, I'll get a great look at a, uh, an adult male resplendent Quetzal. But I got a look at a juvenile male resplendent Quetzal flying away. So that was that, but still pretty cool. We had to hear them much of the hike. Uh, so we parked the car after a little bit, and then a pickup truck with an open back and uh, seats drove us up an even steeper, uh, rougher road to the top of the trail system there. And from there, we spent about four hours hiking back down this windy up and down trail just spectacular birding. Carlos uh, got us on at least two, maybe three big mixed flocks and just had tremendous looks at a lot of birds. Um, maybe my favorite was long-tailed silky flycatcher. At one point, we had an entire tree, just the whole top of the tree, like a, a birthday cake with candles sitting on top of all these long-tailed silky flycatchers queued right up and looking at us. We had a lot of other birds there. Uh, Rufus Colored red star, black-cheeked warbler, golden-browed chlorospingus, ocracious wren, rufous-browed peppershrike, just a whole bunch of birds. I think our list for the day there was over 60 species, most of which were life species for me. So had a fabulous hike. When we got back down the trail, we drove back to the restaurant and had a nice lunch uh, watching the hummingbird feeders. Got to see a few new hummingbirds there. That was really nice. And by that time, it was 2.30 or so in the afternoon, and Marion was... She'd had enough. Marion is my girlfriend. She's a, a beginning birder and is quite uh, good. She's got a good eye. She doesn't. Really fun to get out birding with, but, you know, she's maybe a little less... She is a little less passionate about uh, listing and birding than I am. And so she decided to have another uh, another juice drink and sit on the deck and watch the hummingbird feeders while Carlos and I went storming around for another two or three hours. So we went out and got to see one of my favorite birds of the whole trip. It's called a torrent tarantulate. Tarantulates are a little tiny flycatcher. They're generally, you know, indescriptly marked, grayish little three or four inch long flycatchers. And this torrent tarantulate, unlike most of the other tarantulates, which is high up in the trees and can be really hard to get a look at. These guys uh, are like, they think they might be uh, fly-catching dippers almost. They don't dip into the water like a dipper, but they hop along the rocks in these raging, raging creeks and, and fly-catch from there. So they're really if you see them, they're pretty easy to see. They're just on a rock down in the middle of a creek, fly-catching off it, bouncing around. So we saw a pair of torrent tarantulates there, which were just, I thought, beyond cool to see. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'll make a blog post associated with this episode, and I'll put lots of pictures on it as so you can see some of these birds that I'm talking about. But torrent tarantulate was one of my highlights of the trip. I just love that. And we went around other places looking for various things and just finished up the afternoon there and then drove out uh, during the daylight, got back to San Isidro, and that was our first day with Carlos. Carlos is a fabulous birding guide. He has a great story of his own. He's, I think he's in his late 30s, early 40s. 
1840s, and just really a top birder. Uh, but he got his start in birding from his big brother. His big brother started one of the early uh, bird guiding services in Costa Rica. And uh, when Carlos turned 16 and could drive, he was a driver on the bird trips. So for several years, Carlos, uh, his job was to be the driver and the all-round, do everything it needed to get done, a right-hand man to his older brother who was leading birding trips. And he'd most of the time or often go on the walks with the bird group and he got himself a pair of bins and became quite a competent birder. Uh, and uh, when he was you know, 21 or 22 years old, been doing this for a few years, his brother told him one day that uh, next week you're leading a trip. Carlos said, I don't know how to lead a trip. I can't lead a trip. And, and his brother said, sure you can. You've been going with me for years. You're ready. Uh, and he says, well, why now? He says, well, because I double book myself next week. I have two trips planned. I can only lead one of them. I don't have anybody else. So you're the guy. Uh, so Carlos led the trip, was really successful, and has been off on his own his own branch of the brother and brother uh, birding guide trip. And I'll put a link to the Facebook page in the, in the podcast notes too, so you can get a hold of Carlos if you need a good guide in Costa Rica. But he was great. And so we took a day off and then used him for another trip uh, down to the coast. We spent, we spent an overnight trip down to Carrera National Park which is a fabulous park, right at the mouth of the Tarcoles River. You may have mentioned, remember that I just mentioned that on our drive from San Jose. There's the Tarcoles River, which is a famous stop to look at crocodiles for all the tourists. But it's also a really nice national park. We spent two days birding with Carlos, and that trip went in his vehicle. He picked us up and took us down to the coast, and we drove up uh, from Dominical, drove north back up uh, the coast, uh, having several stops on the way. Without a doubt, my favorite stop on the trip from Dominical North was at the rice fields near Playa El Rey. Uh, fabulous area. One of the cool experiences of the trip really wasn't birding, but driving through the palm oil plantations to get to the rice fields. There's a long strip of that part of the coast of Costa Rica that is just dominated by palm oil plantations. They are not particularly, they're not at all friendly to wildlife. Uh, they're a, a monoculture crop, pretty much a wildlife desert almost. But in driving through those to get out, we got to see how the, the workers work. And it's kind of crazy. These, these palm trees are pretty tall, you know, 40, 50 feet to where the fruit grows and you have to cut them down. So these workers are riding on a bicycle with a pole that's about 50 feet long over one shoulder with a pruning saw hooked onto the end of the pole. And they're drive, riding their bike along, balancing this, this uh, long pole with a saw on their shoulder, and then they'll stop and straighten up the pole. They walk it up like uh, Iwo Jima, you know, walking the pole up. And, and we get it vertical. We'll lean it against the tree and maneuver it over so the saw is next to the fruit. And they'll saw the fruit down, saw the fruit off, and it'll crash down to the ground. And they collect the fruit by the side of the road and haul it off to the factory to get the oil boiled out of it uh, in big trucks. But I, I thought, how do they ride those bikes with those incredibly long poles? It was pretty cool to see, I have to say. But anyway, we got through the, the palm oil plantation, and there's a little river uh, on the coastal side of that. And beyond that are the rice fields. And the, the, air, the riparian area along that river was just spectacular. One of my favorite birds of the trip was southern lapwing. I've seen northern lapwing in Africa and Europe, uh, hopefully someday in the ABA area. I think they show up on the East Coast occasionally, but not for me yet. Uh, but southern, And they're a beautiful bird. And southern lapwings are the southern 
uh, version of northern lapwing, and they are spectacular birds. This, this uh, metallic green sheen to them and all sorts of iridescent colors uh, and just a cool sherbet. We saw a nice flock of them in the rice fields, but also got mangrove cuckoos and beer-throated tiger heron. Just a fabulous look at that. Uh, lots of uh, neotropic migrants and uh, lots of resident species. So got really good looks at a whole bunch of birds for a couple of hours there before we headed north, uh, spent the later in the day uh, looking for birds uh, in that junction near where the Tarcoles River is. The Tarcoles River lies just fortuitously at the junction of the dry uh, northern part of the west coast of Costa Rica and the not quite as dry southern part. So the birds of the wet tropical forest of the southwestern Costa Rica are relatively a different subset of species, a different group of species than the birds of the drier uh, tropical forests north of the Tacolage River. And right there at Carrera National Park, both sets of birds, the birds of the dry tropical forest and the birds of the wet tropical forest come together, and you can find both sets of birds, so a big list of birds you can get at uh, Carrera National Park. So we birded that park for the whole next morning, had a great morning walk, uh, lots of cool birds. Got to see great Tinamu. Uh, I heard them all the trip at Jean's place, but never saw one there. Got to see great Tinamu and a whole bunch of other birds. Lots of trogons, just fabulous birding. Uh, and then got on home. On the ride home, had a great experience of going to a stakeout, uh, a common potu. Potus are these ancient-looking, weird-looking birds uh, that hide by roosting on the end of a post or limb. And they just, they're the color of bark, and they just look like the end of the limb. They're almost invisible, are highly camouflaged. Well, uh, Carlos had a stakeout come potu, and it had a nest on top of a fence post right beside the road near Capos. And we got to see that bird, fabulous looks, walked all around, got some pictures. It was just a wonderful way to end the day. Uh, the other stakeout set of birds we saw were a couple of owls. The night before, uh, we had gone to a stakeout that Carlos had arranged with local landowner to see Pacific screech owls and got to see those just at sunset. And a little bit before that, had another one of the kind of memorable experiences of the trip. We we're riding along in Carlos's van, and a guy on a motorcycle just waves us down. He says to Carlos, you remember me? Uh, and I'm... Uh, translating. He said this in Spanish. I'm more or less understanding. He said, you remember me? And Carlos says, no, not really. He said, I'm the guy who knows where the owls are. Carlos said, oh, that's interesting. Uh, And uh, said, can you show them to us? And the guy says, well, I got to go to town to go to the ATM, but maybe after that. Carlos says, ah, well, if we find him. So we go burning for a little bit. Sure enough, this guy shows up, finds us again, and takes us to a teak plantation. We walk out through the teak plantation, and sure enough, a pair of black and white owls just roosting in a tree there. He knew right where they were, took us right to them. So got our black and white owls for the trip, and just just kind of memorable things, like, you know, just stumble into things like that. It was really cool. In addition to that trip, we took a family vacation trip to the Parque Nacional Manuel Antonio, uh, got a nice walk around there. That park is spectacular. Just a beautiful park, uh, really well-developed, has a lot of handicap-accessible trails, has lots of uh, naturalists who will take you on a a morning walk there, and the swimming there is fabulous. There's a beach that's just spectacularly beautiful beach, uh, some rocky uh, outcrops, 
outcroppings that have brown boobies and magnificent frigate birds soaring around them. Uh, so really a fun, fun walk. Uh, but the other uh, trip that we got away a few days later was to a place called the Talari Mountain Lodge. The Talari Mountain Lodge is an echo resort that is best known as a nice halfway stop between San Jose and the Osu Peninsula, way down in the southwest of Costa Rica. Uh, but I went there just because it was you know, only an hour and a half or so from Jean's Place, and it's right near San Isidro. So went to the Talari uh, Mountain Lodge, and the owner there had said he could arrange guides for us. And he did get us a terrific guide. Andreas Chinchia is a really good local guide. Uh, also guides all around the country, but really specializes in the Talamanca Mountain Range area in southwestern Costa Rica. And we met him at the Talari Mountain Lodge, and he uh, showed us the birds around the lodge, which is great birding, and then took us to this fabulous feeder setup. It was just incredibly cool. This house is right outside Parque Nacional Chiripo, uh, which is in the cloud forest. The cloud forest in southwestern Costa Rica isn't that high, around four, five, 6,000 feet. You don't have to get up really high. And it was a fabulous little, just a little home on the side of a ravine. And the owner had set up all sorts of feeders. And it's largely a place photographers love to go because the light is spectacular. The birds are, you know, colorful and close and easy to see and photograph and uh, we did get some great looks at some great birds there oh my goodness the tanagers there are just to die for the looks are spectacular the light is great and spectacle tanager that was one of the birds i was hoping to get a good look at and these guys were right in front of us for as long as you wanted to drink in the looks golden hooded tanagers silver throated tanagers scarlet thrite Scarlet thigh dacnus, red-legged honey creepers, blue-gray and palm tanagers, just all over the place. Really spectacular. Was fun to study Philadelphia Vireo. You know, those are a hard ID in the U.S. and actually not that easy an ID there either. But we've got really great looks at Philadelphia Vireo. Uh, mistletoe tarantulas right up close. Red-faced spine tail was one of my favorites. This is a pretty good sized, you know, seven or eight inch bird. Uh, they're sort of closer related to the tree creepers, but they've got this rufous tail, just a spectacular bird. Uh, and hummingbirds, oh my goodness, the hummingbirds, they were crazy. A violet saber wing, violet does not describe their color. They are this incredible iridescent violet color that's fabulous. Gardened emerald, green crown brilliance, uh, snowy-bellied hummingbirds, rufous-tailed hummingbird, uh, white-tailed emerald, just crazy. Lessons, mot moths, great looks at those. And the bird that all the photographers were coming to see, red-headed barbat, just right in your face. Just fabulous birding. We spent two or three hours at this feeders and just loved every minute of it. It was just so cool. Uh, Marion, I have to say, was just pretty much blown away by how spectacular birding can be at a place like that and so was I. So we had that day and then the next day Andreas took us uh, to another really cool place to Los Cosingos, uh, a fabulous little birding area where Alexander Scotch had his homestead. He bought uh, a large, a pretty good sized chunk of land there for very inexpensive when Costa Rica property was really cheap uh, several decades ago and developed it into a fabulous birding spot. Uh, but 
with trails and that sort of thing. Uh, but he was a prolific author and really the grandfather of Costa Rican birdings. We got to see his property and just some fabulous birding. So overall, a spectacular trip. Uh, we ended the trip with 295 species, 134 lifers for me, all of the birds enjoyed. Most of them seemed pretty well. Uh, met a couple of really good guides that I'll be able to use for future trips and had a fabulous visit with my kids. Uh, so overall, a highly successful trip that I just, you know, cherish. So love that. Feel like, again, had that balance of great birding and great family time. Did, did a really good job of balance. I'm pretty proud of myself for balancing that as nicely as I did. So happy there. And from there, didn't come straight home, visited my brother in Florida. My brother lives uh, on the Gulf Coast of Florida in Minnesota Key and got to visit him for a week and did a little bit of birding there, nothing that spectacular. Marion and I did get to see maybe the wildlife refuge in the U.S. with the coolest name. Can you think of a cooler name for a wildlife refuge than Ding Darling National Wildlife Refuge? Ding Darling. Look up Ding Darling, how he got his name, the whole place, but it's a pretty cool place. And we birded there. Didn't see that much. It was spring break in Florida when we were there, so just a lot of people. Couldn't really get on any of the beaches. I couldn't find parking on any, for any of the beaches on uh, the entire Sanibel Island, but still, Drove around the wild, the wildlife loop at Ding Darling, uh, got some really nice looks at a few cool birds, and had a great day. Flew home, been home for a little over a week now, and so I'm settling in. I'm going to get back in the swing of producing episodes for the Bird Bander podcast. Need to arrange some guests. If you know anyone you think will be a really good guest on the podcast, uh, urge them to reach out to me or reach out to me, and I'll, I'll get a hold of them. Uh, so thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed hearing about my trip to Costa Rica. I enjoyed the trip. Hope you enjoyed hearing about it. And so until next time, thanks for listening. Good birding and good day.